He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies, episode 11. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. I'm here with the rest of the Munson's. Going to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. James. Fellas, what's up? Uh, Shane Warren couldn't be here, uh, but he is being a good father, which I guess will be acceptable for just this one podcast, but I'm already not a fan <laughs> of this baby. I feel like it's really <laughs> changed his priorities, and we need to address it as a group. Intervention after this. Huh? Case, are you uh, in the same boat of uh, we need to have an intervention? No, I, uh, I do have some personal updates that I wanted to share with you guys. I stopped by the... Uh, doctor to get tested for my allergies they tested for 31 different allergies you guys will be proud to know that only six of them i'm not allergic to so i have <laughs> Jesus. 25 of 31 allergy allergens tested i i've got 25 so i'm doing pretty well everybody was very proud of me the uh the amount i had what's the greatest hits which one's the most dangerous one I think all of them. I mean, there's a bunch of molds on there. There's a bunch of uh, mites on there. It was, uh, at first I thought that was pretty normal, but then literally every doctor and nurse that I saw were like, oh, you're the guy. You're the guy. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm the guy. (laughs) Game first or last. It's honestly surprising natural selection hasn't picked you off yet. Yeah, dude, you made it this far. (laughs) It's working on it. (laughs) Rigby, what's going on in your woman? Posted up here in Iowa with my twin brother, who you will meet shortly. He still can't seem to beat me in Madden after all these years. Looks like I figured him out. One of these days, he might catch up to me, but I still got the lead so far. If you stop using the Titans, you might give him a chance. (laughs) Well, that's a good transition because but we've got John Rigby. You'll notice here in a minute if you're listening in, first-time listener or long-time listener, uh, our guest is going to sound eerily like another one of our uh, normal Munson's and that there's reason for that because uh, John lives in LA. He's a graduate of UCLA School of Law. He's soon going to move to San Diego to practice business litigation. He's also a Phi Sci from the University of Iowa, like many of us. His favorite movie is Fargo. His favorite action movie is The Rock. And his favorite comedy is There's Something About Mary. He also loves the movie that our podcast is based on. It's a small world when you take unbelievable shits, Roy. <laughs> I, I don't believe that's the accurate quote, but I appreciate the slight adjustment. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, Rob. I tried to ad-lib. I came close. Hey, that's good, man. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm well. And uh, just so you guys know, in, um, in true spirit of this podcast name, like Ishmael Borg from Kingpin, I watched every movie a time and a half tonight that we'll be talking about. So, <laughs> so I'm ready. I've been ready. I've been ready, baby. <laughs> 10 frames. That's for Quakers. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, you left off. Uh, one of the interesting facts about our guest is that he is a twin. And I have a couple famous actors who are twins who you might not be aware of. One of them, Linda Hamilton, Scarlett Johansson, Kiefer Sutherland, and Pod favorite, Vin Diesel. Wow. Vin Diesel's a twin? I was not aware of that. Vin Diesel is a twin. Who's his twin? The Rock? No. They're just not identical? So when I looked all this up, it was interesting because like they're twins and then it's like, this is Vin Diesel action star and it's his brother who like 
does accounting. Like they're just like normal people. And it's mm. so interesting to see that. The only one who's actually starred in a movie with their twin was Linda Hamilton, whose twin sister played the T-1000 in Terminator 2. Damn. So here's the question. What, what will it take for us to get Vin Diesel's brother on the podcast one day? <laughs> Probably just text him. <laughs> <laughs> just go get your taxes done. Be like, hey, by the way, you wanna, what are you doing <laughs> Thursday? Right. Dude, they're just like normal people. It's funny to see. Oh, I think Ashley Kutcher is a twin too, isn't he? That is correct. Uh, no, are wow. all of those identical twins? Or no, the only one mix? who's identical is Linda Hamilton. Of the two twins that we have, who has more movie knowledge? Me. Ooh, yeah, probably John. And better taste. Oh! That's not true. <laughs> oh. That's not true. Now, John, could you name every Oscar winner since like 1960 and by year, like Mark can? Maybe like 69. I think once it gets into the 60s, that's where I get a little foggy. But I'd say like from Midnight Cowboy onward, I'm pretty solid. On my end, in my personal life, I've spent the past two days uh, not watching movies, not really doing much of anything other than helping my buddy who lost his dog in the Westfield area. He was visiting from Nashville, so he doesn't live here. They were visiting family. Fireworks are going off. Dogs scattered. And so we've been scouring um, the northern side of Indianapolis for the past couple of days trying to find his pup. Damn. Hasn't been the most fun. Uh, I've been getting some KMs in on the bike, I'll tell you that. That's what I've been spending my life doing. And I'm, gl- I'm glad to be stepping away for a moment to hang out with you guys. All right, so we got some birthdays for June 4th. Since Warren is not here, uh, the Mark version of Rigby is going to step in and uh, tell us about the big day. At least a couple actors. The first one is Bruce Dern. He's in Nebraska. He was most recently uh, George Spawn. He was in a low-budget Western that I saw on Netflix a couple weeks back, too. And he is Laura Dern's father. That's true. If you guys want to take a stab at Bruce Dern, go ahead. 75. <sighs> that dude's old as fuck. Um, yeah. And I think he's been 75 for 10 years. I'm going 80. I'll go with 82. 87. He is turning 84. John coming old. in. Old. John got old, in the dude. dub. He is very old. All right, next we got Russell Brand, English comedian, forgetting Sarah Marshall, get him to the Greek, big Judd Apatow guy. Dated Katy Perry for a little bit. Dated Katy Perry for a couple years. All this snow, yep. Russell Brand is older than I think we think he is, so I'm going to say 54. What? No way. 41. I'm going to go with 48. I'm going to go 39. Russell Brand is 45. James, James won, yep. Price is right, rules, man. That counts. And last but not least, uh, one of our more famous birthdays, Mrs. Angelina Jolie. I'm going to say 50. I'm going to say the big 5-0. Yeah, that feels feels right. I think I'm going 43. Good guess. 48. I'm going to go high. I'm going to go 54. Angelina Jolie is 45. She doesn't look older than 45. Maybe it's because she's such a high-profile person. I just figured she was older than that. She was pretty high-profile. For most of her career, too. She must have started acting in like at like eighteen. Yeah, she was a teenager, which is very different than Alice and Janney. When was Bone Collector? That was ninety nine, ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah, she would have been in her twenties then. So we've got five actors that put on the wheel. Those five, as a reminder, were Peter Dinklage, Lee Gong, William Sadler, Ashley Judd, and Allison Janney. And as we've previously discussed. The wheel chose Alice Janney. This looks like it was a pretty big fan favorite. I think the last couple of weeks, the actors we've chosen are usually not the people that our fans and listeners have picked. This one uh, was definitely a 
a favorite out there. So I want to give a shout out to our uh, Instagram contest winners, our trivia winners. The last couple episodes, people have been struggling, but had a couple of count nail it on this one with the Alice and Janney uh, photo collage. I want to give a shout out to uh, at Stace of Base underscore. Great name. And uh, <laughs> great yeah, name. that's a great name. It seems like a normal human person. She just has Alice and Janney as her profile picture. It's her and Alice and Janney. So a huge super nice. fan. And then the other one is at for Alice and Janney. So nice. surprise. Big it's fans. a fan account. Yeah. Of the four photos, two of them were gimmies. Um, one was West Wing. The other one was Troop, Troop Zero. If yeah. you know anything about her, it, it's pretty obvious. But the other two were not. And that was Nurse Betty and Piccadilly Jim. Wow. They knew those two and knocked it out. Yeah, those are big fans. Good for them. Yeah, exactly. Nailed it. So shout out to you. We're going to be getting into all the things that are Allison Janney. Before we get too far into her career, James is going to try to stump us with some actor trivia. So, John, in case you haven't listened to a podcast before, I do two truths and a lie about the actor that we are discussing. Two of the facts I'm going to read are 100% true, and one of the facts I'm going to read is actually about a cast member from Fast and the Furious. First fact I'm going to read is... During their annual celebrity draft, the Harlem Globetrotters drafted her because of her physical height and defensive presence. Fact number two, when training to become an Olympic figure skater, her career was derailed due to a freak accident in which she ran through a plate glass window. And fact number three, she was discovered by Paul Newman while acting in a play in college. Damn, those are good ones. Wow. She is tall, so number one is tempting. I'm gonna go figure skater is the is the lie, Jane. Same. I think she's too tall to be a, like a competitive figure skater. I am ninety eight point seven percent confident that number one is the lie, though. Despite she is tall, but that's the misleading part. I think James is throwing us off. I we think uh, is that the Globetrotter one. Number that one, is the Globetrotter was one. I think you're lying because that's Vin Diesel because of his ability to box out. I think it's a Vanessa Kirby fact. That's my guess. So the one you guys didn't choose, so you agree it was a fact, is a fact. Uh, She was discovered by Paul Newman while she was acting in a play in college. She was actually directing the play and told her that she should pursue acting professionally. Then it was a split on which one was true and which one was false on these next two. And one I will say is in fact true is she was trained to become an Olympic figure skater before the freak accident derailed that. She's got a pretty funny quote about it. She says, well, I hit the window and the glass fell on top of me and it sort of guillotined my leg. I don't know. It was pretty bad. I lost an artery, cut some tendons. It was pretty bad, which means like when you lose an artery, and cut some tendons. That's not just pretty bad. It's like you might have lost the leg entirely. Like that is, that is a brutal injury. Um, and yes, the Harlem Globetrotters fact was actually about Gal Gadot. Oh, oh nice. Shit. She looked very comfortable in Itania. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's some experience behind that performance. <laughs> I was about to say that was probably her channeling her own parents at that point in time, <laughs> right? Basically just channeling the moment after that freak accident. Case, tell us a little bit about her snapshot and box office history. The problem with her is, is there's not a Alice and Janney vehicle, right? Where we can pin something on her and go, she's a leading woman who can carry a film through the box office or she's not. I'm going to start it with a, a story. I used to work at a movie theater when I was in college and in high school. The movie Six Days, Seven Nights was at our movie theater. I got in trouble because when I was selling tickets, people would come up and they'd say, give me two for six days and seven nights. And I would do everything I could do to dissuade them from watching that movie. (laughs) (laughs) My boss got so pissed at me because she was a huge Harrison Ford fan. 
still ended up making 165 million. I didn't hurt their box office too much. You know, we've actually got two examples this time that critics helped this movie. One of them is American Beauty. Opening weekend, it had $862,000. That was its opening weekend. And it, from what I could tell, it was a full open. And it ended up world grossing $356 million. Damn. Juno, same boat, opened up at 414000 world gross of $232 million. It, it's insane. Damn. Both of those movies made 20 times the budget. Again, there's no Alice and Janney vehicle, right, that we can look at. Mm -hmm. But I did think that those were, were worth noting. It's reaffirming that a movie can just be like so perfectly constructed that it doesn't need a big budget to get rewarded. American Beauty and Juno, I think, are both great movies. And mm -hmm. just when it's so well put together, well acted, well filmed, the people respond to that. So you don't need to go on this media blitz to kind of get the recognition. Yeah. And the Oscar buzz helps too. I mean, when it's the, absolutely, they were probably both released a couple of months before the Oscars. And, you know, the closer you get to award season, I feel like movies like that just kind of crush it. When a lot of those movies, after they're announced in January, get put back into the theater for mm -hmm. another month too. So that helps quite a bit. I'm with you, James. I, it, it, I enjoy the fact that you've got just good movies that through the process end up making the amount of money they do just because they're good movies. Doesn't always happen. Sometimes there's good movies that make no money. All right, Case. Appreciate you, man. I think the interesting part about Janie is she didn't get her start in acting until she was 35 years old. Definitely a late start. She had to hustle to get where she was. I know James had mentioned in his trivia that she was discovered by Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward at Kenyon College doing a play. That was the urge to get into the game and start working into that, that space. If you listen to her interview, she talks about early on in her career, she had to hustle to get to where she's at. So we're eventually going to get to 1998, and that's her first feature film. But before that, in 1989, she was in her first film appearance in a movie called Who Shot Pat? Very small role, which not surprisingly tells the story of many actors early on in their careers the first couple of years. But we see in uh, 1989, she was also in a Broadway show in her debut in Ladies. Quick to note here, too, she's had a pretty successful career in stage production. She's been in 14 different stage productions in her long career. When we get to the end and we start talking about versatility and range and things like that, that's going to play a big role. But between 89 and 98, she was in a variety of TV show spots, TV movies and shorts, a lot of things that we, most people probably, probably haven't heard of, but getting work, getting her name out there, getting into the industry, meeting the people. But I guess the first bigger movie that she was in Small, again, a small part was Big Night. And I think, John, you uh, you haven't seen it, but you talked about it was a pretty big indie hit. I know that Big Night often gets kind of cited as this kind of tiny indie that hit the circuit in, I think, the mid-90s, maybe 96 or something, and was a huge hit kind of in those worlds. 1996, look at you. You know your shit, man. 1997, she was in Private Parts, the on-screen uh, Howard Stern movie. The point of Private Parts is that Howard Stern, it's a, a biographical film, an autobiographical film. On his on his career, basically he's a shock jock, and she plays this station manager who always is sort of after him about him using cuss words and dirty sex jokes and things like that. The one thing I would say about her role is our first look at her being like sort of the stern, authoritative type character that she played in um, in a lot of roles in the early two thousands. I think between ninety seven and ninety eight, she was in three other projects: The Ice Storm, Julian Poe, and Primary Colors. I know we've seen a few of them, but again, her role is so small. 
I think a lot of times you forget what her role was in those films. Because I think, John, you had mentioned you've seen The Ice Storm. So The Ice Storm is an Ang Lee movie. It takes place in 1970s Connecticut, and it's about a set of neighbors in suburban Connecticut who experiment with key parties, which is like basically swingers parties in the in the 70s. Oh, we know what key parties are. Okay. <laughs> I, I forgot who I was talking to. <laughs> and, uh, but the cast is great. The cast is... Kevin Klein, Sigourney Weaver, Elijah Wood. And if I remember correctly, I think Allison Janney has like a very minor role as a neighbor. And I saw Julian Poe preparing for this episode, and she's got a pretty minor role in that one as the wife. So all that leads up to 1998. She plays a, 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 a more of a major role in what we're going to call her first feature film, and that's the object of my affection. And James had the pleasure on that one. Leading up to this point, I think it's important to note that she was not getting a lot of roles in movies, but she was dominating television. And this is in regards to her role in the West Wing. Rarely do you see a star crossover from major television success to major movie success. Like you can actually count them on like one hand how often that actually happens. And so at the time, she was struggling to break into film. We'll talk about the West Wing later, which is probably her most iconic role. But in regards to the object of my affection, I had no idea what I was about to watch when I watched this because I'd never heard of it before. But the cast was great and it looked like kind of like a rom-com. So I was in. Quick synopsis. It's adapted from a novel. And the movie's about like a romantic mismatch of a gay man played by Paul Rudd and a young pregnant woman played by Jennifer Aniston who eventually fall in love with one another as friends when they meet at a dinner party that's hosted by Aniston's uh, character's sister, who is played by Allison Janney. Aniston becomes pregnant with her ex-boyfriend's child and asks Rudd if he would like to raise the child with her since they are so close and they are best friends. They're believable as like sad, star-crossed lovers who know they can't, uh, they can never really be together for romantic reasons that they obviously can't control since he is not into women. Janney plays a cynic and a realist who has a bunch of good one-liners that like shit on Aniston's boyfriends and are like super blunt and just like completely demoralizes them. Like, But she actually really likes Paul Rudd throughout this movie, but she's also the one character who's like skeptical of their relationship, which you appreciate because, you know, he's gay and all, and he's clearly <laughs> not going to just stop being gay. I appreciated that because for a second, I was nervous that this movie was going to take the approach that like, gay man turns straight because of fantasy version of what people think love is. And I'm super glad that they didn't go that way. I was shocked that a movie that came out around this time was willing to try and tell such like a nuanced story. And I appreciate the risks they were taking, but it really didn't like all come together. The characters make difficult choices and wistful decisions, trying to choose between the two types of love, like friendship and actual romance, but it's just never going to happen. And it could have been this very interesting story and great movie, but the editing of this movie, like said, was like in the middle and it was awkward and kind of meh. I see this issue with movies a lot that are adapted from uh, novels because they're like wildly vast and expansive where, and their story has so many little nuances that are probably easier to read on paper since they're their own chapter with their own tone. But on screen, it's like super jarring to see. Tremendous cast, very good acting performances, and a super intriguing story, but it's all wasted because they were like, maybe we're a rom-com, but this is a serious subject, and it just does that for the entirety of the movie. All right, James. Appreciate it, man. 
good note that you made there, James, uh, with some of the context. Uh, normal episodes, we would f- filter in television work as we go along chronologically. With Chris O'Dowd in episode 10, we moved a lot of his to the end. We did all the television work on the end because he was in so much of it. Alison Janey is very similar in that she's done a ton of television work. So just to kind of clump it all together and make it less clunky as we talk and have this discussion, we'll hit that at the end. So if we hit some years where you're like, yeah, I loved her in that show. You skipped it. Trust us, we're going to get to it eventually. Between 1998 and 1999, she was in The Imposters. She was in the aforementioned Six Days and Seven Nights as Marjorie, Robin's boss. She was in Celebrity in 1999. Also in 1999, she was in 10 Things I Hate About You as Miss Perky, the uh, erotic novel writing counselor at the high school. It is, it's such a funny cameo. Like The role's not major, but every scene she's in, they give her that one line that like, steals that scene. She looks for a synonym for, what's the word? Like, engorging, I engorged. believe. Yeah, yeah engorged. there you go. <laughs> like, like, who would ever use that word in a sentence that's not a repulsive sentence? And that's what made it funny to hear like an English teacher say that. So as our guest Munson, the way we do our episodes is each one of us hits five main categories. And then our guest gets the opportunity to pick a different film from the actor's filmography and cover that. And as soon as John Rigby heard that we were covering Allison Janney, he did not hesitate to tell me that he wanted to cover Drop Dead Gorgeous. So, John, tell us about this cult classic. So, yeah, Drop Dead Gorgeous, filmed in 1999, came out in 1999, just a few years after another uh, Minnesota 90s classic, The Coen Brothers Fargo, which is my favorite movie. This movie is about a beauty pageant in a small town in Minnesota called Mount Rose, which is an anagram for it's a fictional town, but is an anagram for a real town uh, called Rosemount, which is where the film screenwriter, a woman named Lona Williams grew up and she's a former beauty pageant contestant herself. So brings a lot of autobiographical elements to it. Unfortunately, this is one of the only few scripts that she has had um, produced. The other sort of notable one feature that is, um, is Sugar and Spice, which I believe you guys have covered on a on a previous podcast, um, sort of a black comedy uh, cheerleading classic. Marsden! Cyclops himself. <laughs> yep. This movie is completely outrageous and um, very un-PC and would offend many people today if it didn't in, in 1999 when it came out. The cast, in addition to Allison Janney, is loaded. Denise Richards, Kirsten Dunst, Kirstie Alley, Ellen Barkin, and as Kyle mentioned, just before this, in a shocker, a film debut of Amy Adams. It's funny that this was her film debut, and now she's probably the biggest star in this. Oh, absolutely. And looking at the, probably the only Oscar-nominated one, except for Janie and, and Ellen. 100%. Drop Dead Gorgeous is shot in a mockumentary-style format, where this film crew gathers around this small town to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the, um, <laughs> of the, I always laugh at the title, the Sarah Rose cosmetics mount rose american teen princess pageant (laughs) it has some great cameos including uh including adam west as uh as the introducer of the pageant which is uh, a hysterical scene in the beginning he plays himself too which i appreciate that he doesn't ever try to be anything but adam west yes it's great (laughs) allison janney plays a neighbor who lives in a in a uh, mobile home unit or a mobile home neighborhood uh, next to uh, Kirsten Dunst's character, who plays Amber Atkins. And Allison Janney is best friends with Ellen Barkin, who plays um, Annette Atkins, Kirsten Dunst's 
mother. And she's in it very infrequently. I'd say she probably has about six or seven minutes of screen time in it, but she steals every scene. She plays a outrageously crass and horny, I will say, um, <laughs> neighbor next door who's always looking to get some or is um, always smoking a cigarette always has a nice uh, crude joke to fit in there. So it's an outrageous movie. Uh, there's some some really good lines from it, especially if you're from the Midwest. The one thing I'll say about it, I love this movie and I could watch it over and over again. It it It's a black comedy that really leaves no character spared except for Kirsten Dunst. I was reading Roger Ebert's review of Dry Gorgeous in preparation for this, and he said he liked it and he saw some similarities to Fargo in terms of its tone and its sort of pitch towards its characters, but felt like there was just like a lot of humanity lacking in it. And that's like, (laughs) um, I couldn't agree with him more. Another interesting part of this movie um, that I love is that, that pertains to Janie is she said that in public when, when, you know, just regular lay members will stop around the street and say, I loved you in this, or I loved you in that. The movie or TV show for that matter, that always gets the most remarks is not the West Wing. It's not Itania. It's this. Um, and I think that kind of speaks to its cult favorite sort of quality. In regards to the cult classic, you were mentioning it. You can even see it in the uh, reviews it got on Rotten Tomatoes, in which it has 68 reviews from uh, confirmed critics that give it a 46. And it's got over 60,000 audience reviews that are 30. Yeah higher so as people didn't see this when it first came out and they're just finding it and loving it our next movie is not until 2014 the movies we're going to cover and feature so we've got a 14 year window between 99 and 2014 so we're going to run through a number of these roles she's had in films over the years some will spend more time on than others Uh, but we're going to start with the first one i don't think any of you have heard of it it's called american beauty (laughs) she played a character named barbara that must be like an indie classic or something (laughs) <laughs> yeah but american beauty obviously won some awards along the way she is the wife of the neighbor next door who's like the nazi like the pseudo nazi yes. she yep. is his wife she plays the role of someone who would be married to a neo-nazi like like military guy for 30 years perfectly she's smoked mm-hmm. like looks like she it's hard to get up every day sort of thing she looks like she's been locked in somebody's uh, yep. dungeon for yep. 25 years. <laughs> it's a very small role as compared to Chris Cooper, who's you know one of the more dominant characters in it. But um, if you're looking for someone like, because I think that they had her in that role to show the effect that Chris Cooper had on this family, yep. which was obviously intense and, and aggressive. and Exhausting. Yeah, exhausting. So 2000, she's in Nurse Betty as Lila. And then in 2002, she's in The Hours as Sally Lester. She played the partner to Meryl Streep in a movie that had nine Oscar nominations and had eight actors who were either nominated or have won Oscars over the years. So just a jam-packed cast. What's unfortunate is that movie came out in a time in my life where you could not have made this movie seem less interesting to ninth grade. (laughs) Like, ninth grade James had no interest in this type of movie yeah so the fact that i still haven't seen it and now like reading about it and all the awards it's one i was like oh my god i was such an idiot like i absolutely have to go back and watch this i'm the same way in ninth grade if it wasn't about sports or maybe for you james if it wasn't a fast and the furious movie you just had (laughs) a stupid (laughs) action movie or something like yeah because this is a movie clearly like oscar Beatty, and it is you know playing to that crowd and me at that age like i want to 
a part of that. Ironically enough, I want every part of that now. And so I should definitely go back and watch this. Yeah, it's available on Prime. She is not one of the main characters. Uh, she's definitely minor comparatively to Streep and Kidman. Julianne Moore. And Julianne Moore and Ed Harris. The scene she's in, she's effective at playing the role that she needs to alongside Meryl Streep. Because it's more about Meryl. It's at following these three women's stories. She doesn't have enough screen time to get a nomination like the others, but she does her, She does the job that she needs to. 2003, she's in Finding Nemo. She plays Peach, the uh, the pink starfish in the bowl with Willem Dafoe and all the other characters. And I was impressed at the emotional range she gave the character <laughs> when I rewatched it. Honestly, the changes in her pitch, I assume everybody's seen Finding Nemo. I yes, don't know if I just didn't know that the characters at the dentist office all had names. And that's why when, <laughs> when, when I heard that, I was like, who's Peach? You know, it's like, it's, it's either Nemo or Dory. And then I was like, oh, that would make sense. Forgot yeah. about it. Albert Brooks's character is his dad. Right. He's like, I don't think they ever say those names Sir. out loud. Also, 2003, she's in How to Deal as Liddy Martin. 2004, she's in Winter Solstice. Uh, 2005, she won a PRISM Award for performance in a TV movie. So I'm assuming because it's a TV movie, none of us have seen it. Nope. But she won an award, <laughs> a minor one, but an award. Also, 2005, she was in a what I would call a pile of dark satirical shit called The Chum Scrubber. It sounds awful. <laughs> so you didn't like it? It's it's not a good movie. Her role is minimal at best. Um, I, I really wasted a lot of time. It's 90 minutes. I'll never get back. 2006, she's doing some more animated work in Over the Hedge. Plays character in Gladys. 2007, she's in Hairspray as Prudy Pingleton. Yeah, she plays the uh, the straight-edge mother of uh, Amanda Bynes. And Amanda Bynes is the best friend of the main character. And Amanda Bynes is also an idiot in the movie. And so the straight-edge mom, Allison Janney, has a bunch of good one-liners that uh, Amanda Bynes desperately needs to hear. Also 2007, she's in Juno as Bren McGuff. Um, as mentioned earlier, one of the more popular box office smashes that she's been in. I love the scene in Juno when she's singing with J.K. Simmons. This is just after Ellen Page just found out that she, she's pregnant. And the Michael Sarah's character's name is Polly Bleeker. J.K. Simmons says, God damn, I'd like to punch that Polly Bleeker kid in the wiener. <laughs> Which is like one of the, one of the funniest lines of, uh, of that year. I love the scene where they're getting the ultrasound and it's like this first like awe moment where Allison Janey as the stepmom is like, kind of getting emotional because it's becoming real and she stopped like you know giving juno so much shit but then the ultrasound technician makes a misstep and she's like oh so you know what are you you know what are your plans she's like oh well we're actually planning on giving it up for adoption and the ultrasound technician is like oh well thank heavens and they all stop and they're like what and uh allison janey just roasts the ultrasound technician she's like how do you know that we're so poisonous like, how do you know that adopted parents are just like evil molesters you know? <laughs> it's like maybe they'll do a shittier job raising the kid than my dumbass daughter and like, <laughs> you see the ultrasound technicians like just crumbling right there as she's getting roasted it's great <laughs> that movie's actually really really good i mean i think it, another interesting thing about that movie is the like the politics of that movie i think like the pro-life crowd kind of like embraced it and i think that was like not the intention of the filmmakers at all so <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to, to watch that in retrospect they're clearly trying to express that uh, a pro-choice message that obviously was was um was not uh, interpreted by the pro-life crowd that way no i mean Allison Janey's character the first thing she says when uh, juno says she's pregnant is she's like oh shit yeah. <laughs> like, like it's not like this <laughs> that's, joyous that's moment. empowering yeah. <laughs> 
2008. She's in Pretty Ugly People. Very, very minor role. She plays Suzanne, who is this uh, woman who's on the plane, basically trying to shack up with rich guys. And she's really funny, and she's extremely horny. I think we <laughs> mentioned she plays a really horny role. And it, it's a small role, but it's a funny role. So I think it's important to point out um, at, at that point in her career. 2009, she's in Life During Wartime. Also, 2009, she was in a musical called 9 to 5. She played Violet Newstead. She got a Tony Award nomination and won a Drama Desk Award. So, took a little departure from her screen work to do some big work on the theater side, which is where she started. 2011, she's in The Help as Charlotte. She plays Emma Stone's mom in this movie. Emma Stone plays a recent college graduate. She's a writer, and she's trying to basically go undercover and as a writer and investigate um, basically advocate for butlers and the uh, what what is known as the help the minorities in the Jim Crow era in Mississippi. Allison Janney plays her mother. From what I remember in the movie, she is sort of not a racist, but sympathetic to the the people that rely on the help uh, in the beginning of the movie. Um, and towards the end of the movie, she's more on Emma Stone's side, basically an advocate for Octavia Spencer and um, and Viola Davis's characters. So she kind of has a character adjustment throughout the movie and a character arc that um, is pretty powerful. 2011, she's in The Oranges as Kathy. 2012, she's in Liberal Arts as Professor Fair- Fairfield, which she tends to play a lot of like academics, mm-hmm. doctor roles quite a bit. I've noticed in a lot of her films. John, you saw this, right? It came out in the summer of 2020, 2012, and I was a high school English teacher at the time. So I was like really gung-ho for this movie, or at least I thought I was going to be. Oh my God, it's just so whiny. Allison Janney's good in it. She is sort of this intimidating former English professor of Josh Radner's who's coming back to campus for uh, a weekend for a reunion. He's always kind of had this crush on her and he um, has these dreams of betting her. And I won't reveal to the listener as to how that turns out. She's good in it, but the movie itself is just is just awful. The cool thing about this movie, though, is that the school where it uh, takes place is a fictional take on Kenyon College, which is both where Josh Radner and Janie met. Yeah, they probably knew each other, I'm sure, before this movie even got started, and they I think they probably came together and wanted to make it sort of as a, as an homage to Kenyon. Well, you said that's good. Let's talk about a film that wasn't good in 2012, and it's called A Thousand Words. She plays a character named Samantha Davis, who is the boss of eddie murphy's character for the guys who haven't seen it the the concept is he talk he just runs his mouth constantly he ends up connecting with like this indian guru guy who performs a spell and there ends up being a tree in his yard and every time he says a word uh, a leaf falls off the tree and if he says more than a thousand words because that's a thousand leaves he's gonna die 2012 she was instruct by lightning she played a character named cheryl i mean the movie's okay the the lead is i don't remember his name but he's in glee and so He's got kind of a compelling character, but she plays this like depressed train wreck of a mother. She does it pretty convincingly. And that, that's the one thing I noted from watching that movie. And it's, it's, a, it's, again, a slight departure from some of the other work that she had done until that point. 2013, she's in Touchy Feely. Also 2013, she's in The Way, Way Back as Betty. I saw the movie years ago. I enjoyed the heck of it. Also 2013, she was in Trust Me as Meg, another movie. She's She's been in a couple movies with Clark Gregg. And so I saw an interview with her, and she mentioned that she's got this thing where she will make at least a cameo in every one of his films. So it could be a major role. It could be something small. But they met a long time ago, and it's this running gag that they have. So she'll be in every one of his films, including this one, which is about an agent who somehow finds a soul working with child actors. 
play by Clark Gregg. Do you guys think that when, when people are making these movies where they're just shitting all over Hollywood, do you think that's cathartic for these actors? I do. I do think it is. Because I watch this movie, and if I've taken any of them in this movie, I never want to be an actor or be involved with Hollywood. It was a huge criticism on the agents within Hollywood and how they treat their clients. And I think it happens so commonly in movies that it has to be true, right? Where they are so self-deprecating about the bullshit that goes on in Hollywood that there's got to be some truth to all this. I think someone, especially like her, who has a sort of a deep theater background and is like very classically trained and tends to lean, it looks like off of her filmography and like stageography kind of tends to lean more like New York than Los Angeles. Like I'm sure these like classically trained actors just have to mm-hmm. like Hollywood and it's and the and the industry people. Absolutely. Bad words in twenty thirteen. She played Dr. Deegan. Yeah, that's kind of the throwback to her private part days. She's the spelling bee director who lashes out at Jason Bateman for not just being offensive, but even being in the spelling bee to begin with. The joke of the movie is that he's this 30, 40 year old person who's finding a loophole in the spelling bee bylaws and entering in these this contest that teenagers should be in. If you haven't seen Bad Words, I recommend I recommend finding it, even if you have to rent it on iTunes. It's hilarious. And lastly, 2013, uh, she's in a movie called The Brightest Star. She plays the astronomer. And let me tell you, of all the movies I watch with her, it is the biggest pile of shit <laughs> of, of the bunch. I, I didn't even finish it. Usually, I'm the kind of person I like have to finish. I couldn't finish. It was that. I could care less about the film. So, high recommendation. Don't check it out. It appears she wasn't looking to take on any uh, better projects in 2014 after The Brightest Star because she was in Days and Nights, which is her lowest critic score. Yeah. And Mark is going to cover that one. This is our lowest critic score. I believe it's a zero on Rotten Tomatoes, if I'm not wrong. That is correct. You are correct. And that's just pathetic because of all the fucking critics out there, you'd think there'd be one that would like this movie. But no, there was that was not the case. Days and Nights is a 2014 film adapted from the 19th century Anton Chekhov play called The Seagull. And that comes back later in my review. We'll get to that. But the film is set in the mid-1980s, sort of in Reagan, America. It takes place at a country house in New England. Um, Allison Janney plays Elizabeth. She's a famous movie actress. She brings home her famous filmmaker friend, who's also her lover, uh, his name is Peter, to her eccentric family's treehouse over the day weekend. Janie is easily the best character in the movie and probably has the best acting. Uh, she's a self-centered diva who has a bad relationship with her son, who's also at the, co- at the cottage. During the movie, she learns that her brother, who is uh, played by William Hurt, she learns that her brother is dying of terminal cancer. And that her lover may be falling for her son's girlfriend. Her son is an artist, so it's actually her his muse. I took that as uh, I took her to be his muse and his girlfriend. So she fears that lover is falling for this woman who is attached to her son. So it's a kind of a creepy sort of family dysfunction to go along with it. As I read in one review, nothing good ever happens in movies that take place at a country house, and that's true here too. If you think of all the movies that both scary and dysfunctional any any time that a movie takes place at a country house there's always something bad that's the interesting thing about this is it's based off a play and the movie has themes that are common in um if you've ever seen like a tragedy in a theater environment these themes of suicide unwanted love and family disputes are pretty prominent the thing is it works in a play but it doesn't work in this movie the dialogue comes off immediately as being recognizable in a play but not 
on screen. You can tell that the guy who wrote this, who who the director of this, he's Christian Camargo. He wrote and directed this, and you can tell he wrote it almost like he wanted it to be a almost like he wanted it to be a stage play and not a film. And it comes off in the acting and the writing. Um, the dialogue comes off as super awkward. Uh, there's monologues that are long and sort of drawn out, and then there's short, punchy, witty lines that make it better for a stage than a film. I read one review that said a lot of times lines that follow each other aren't related to the lines that are said before that. So it's like really confusing. It's like a stage play. It's like <laughs> it's supposed to get the audience's attention and be like, oh, who is this dude? It works in a play, but it doesn't in a movie. With that being said, I don't really see why they couldn't just go to Broadway with this and sort of making a movie. But that's another conversation to have, I guess. The thing I will say about this film is that the cast is unreal. It has Mark Rylance, who's an Academy Award winner. He won for Bridge mm-hmm. of Spies. Great theater and film actor. Katie Holmes, who's, you can say whatever you want about her. She's a huge name. Um, whether she's a good actress or not, I think you could have a debate about that. William Hurt, Academy Award winner. Crushed it in so many movies. Also a big theater guy. And John Renault, who's, um, you know, known for the professional and, and um, other big, yeah. big international movies. A huge cast. They obviously were working with some pretty tough material. Yep. The last thing I'll say, according to Box Office Mojo, the movie was released in one theater and it made just over $13,000 at the box <laughs> office. Is that lower than anything else you've seen, Case? We've got one, I think, lower than 13000 total. I don't know what the budget would be. I would think just filming this at some country house for one day would cost more than 13000 So it definitely did not make its... Uh, it's return on investment, that's for sure. That's just enough money to buy a Ford Fiesta. <laughs> Before we get to Largest Critic Gap, uh, she was in four films in the years of 2014, 2015. She was in The Rewrite. She was in Tammy, Get On Up, and The Duff. So let's get to Largest Critic Gap. Uh, in, in this case, uh, the movie is Spy. It's got a 95 from the critics, so extremely high. Uh, and it has a 78 from the audience. So not a bad gap. Yeah, 78 still really high. This is like the difference between good and great. Yeah, so this is a pretty beloved film on both sides of the aisle. So, Case, I, I assume that you felt the same. Well, first off, it's it's the third film that combines Alyssa McCarthy and Paul Feig. I mean, I, I love both of those guys. Me too. You know, I recently heard an interview with Paul Feig where he said that this is actually one of his two favorite movies that he's ever made. The other one being A Simple Favor starring Anna Kendrick. Oh, nice. In a different interview where he's talking specifically about this movie, you know, he was talking about the dynamics of, of making a comedy. And Paul Feig said that the number one job of a director in a comedy is to control the tone. They were trying to make a straight spy movie with this that was that just had a funny script and funny scenes, but they wanted the, they wanted the actors to play it straight. And that's why Jason Statham is so great in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to be funny. He's just saying lines that happen to be funny, and he's doing it like a badass. It hits at every level. And then the other thing that I liked about what Paul Feig said specifically about this movie was he's always been a huge fan of physical action comedy. And when he was making this, he was really he drew a lot of inspiration from Jackie Chan. And as I as I heard that and I thought about that movie, a lot of the scenes, even with Melissa McCarthy. Her action scenes aren't necessarily supposed to be funny, 
but you find yourself kind of enjoying and, and, and being entertained by them because they end up, they do end up being funny. This is a spy movie. Paul Feig was very adamant about that. And, and he was really frustrated when the movie, when it got announced that they were making it because everybody has said, oh, great, Paul Feig's making another Austin Powers. And so he was really motivated to make sure that, that it worked out well. So Melissa McCarthy is the main star of this movie, and she plays a character, character named Susan Cooper. And she's the handler of an agent named Bradley Fine, who's played by Jude Law. It's established that she's got just a massive crush on Bradley Fine, and he gets killed in action by Rose Byrne's character named Raina. During that, as, as Raina's killing Jude Law's character, she says into the camera, I know all of your agents. And she basically says that if anybody comes after her, she's going to know it and she's going to kill them. Well, this is where Janie comes in because Janie plays Elaine Crocker as the deputy director of the CIA. She nails it. She even said in an interview that she had to be able to be kind of a bully to both Jason Statham and Melissa McCarthy. And it's hilarious that she does it in different ways. She treats Melissa McCarthy's character as such a nobody. It just gives her the shittiest undercover <laughs> roles. It's unbelievably funny. Then you turn around and in the same scene, I mean, she's elfing Jason Statham and it's very believable. She does a really good job in this role. Well, she ultimately sends um, Melissa McCarthy's character, Susan Cooper, over to Europe to, to observe and report basically on, uh, on Raina or, or uh, Rose Byrne's character. The overall mission and, and I'm not going to get into it too much because it's it's a it's a spy movie and it, it's just so many twists and turns. But the mission is to recover a suitcase with a nuke that Melissa McCarthy's character discovers. Raina knows the location, so they're they're trying to figure out where it's at. I mean, it's just a really good movie. One one of the things Allison Janney said as to why she enjoyed this role and that Paul Feig really thought she was perfect for it was because if you think back or if you think into her TV career, we'll talk about the wrestling later, you know, she really established the ability to be able to throw her weight around and, and control the boys. And that's what she really needed to be able to do in this movie, not necessarily control the boys, but you've got some massive characters and some huge actors with a lot of chops. So she needed to be believable as somebody that's kind of the boss and, and showing people around it. And she nails it. Her ability to, to be that boss in two different directions within the same scene, it was fantastic. I would agree with that description. I haven't seen all of the West Wing, but the ones I've seen, she's she is very bossy. And you need that in as someone who's a deputy director of the CIA, sort of play off of Melissa McCarthy's antics in that movie. She was a perfect cast for it. 2015 to 2017, uh, she's in a number of projects. Uh, she is in Minions. As Maj Nelson, um, it might be Madge, but I just like saying Madge, <laughs> like uh, John Mulaney from his stand-up Madge. But in 2016, she's in a movie called Tallulah, which is available on Netflix. It's kind of a hidden gem, similar to Incredible Jessica James and some other ones we talked about last time with Chris O'Dowd. She plays a character called Margot. It's another collaboration with Ellen Page. Uh, basically, Ellen Page is homeless, leaves her her boyfriend, who is Alice and Janney's son, and ends up like basically stealing a child from a really bad mother and pretends it's hers and goes to Alice and Janney, who is married to a guy, allegedly, who is an academic and is lying to stay in the home. And it's two broken people coming together in a dramatic type of film. 
uh, about this child who clearly is getting neglected. And it's it was a surprisingly good movie. Uh, so if you get a chance, check it out. She's great in it. Ellen Page is good in it as well. So it's all around it's good performances. Um, but to kind of wrap us through, she's in Finding Dory. Again, it's Peach, Girl on the Train, 2016, and Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children as Dr. Golan another uh, doctor, psychiatrist type of role. Uh, that brings us to 2017, which is her largest audience gap, and that movie's called A Happening of Monumental Proportions. Now, Warren was supposed to cover this one. Uh, the gap is significant. It's vast. Mm-hmm. So the, the <laughs> it's a 17 to a 64. So <laughs> critics absolutely hated it, and audiences gave it a decent score. I mean, that's that's almost what 50 points yeah. it's almost 50 points it came out in 2017 it's got a ton of big name actors you'd mentioned katie holmes earlier it has common in it it has allison janney it has rob riggle it has a whole bunch of pretty prominent actors but i never heard of it and the fact that the critics rated it so poorly tells me that it re- it's probably pretty reminiscent of accidental love the movie we covered on the marson episode just like a movie that had good intentions mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be mockumentary type of movie, but it just doesn't really connect. 2017 to 2019, before we get to highest critic score, uh, she's in a movie called Sundogs um, in 2017, uh, plays a, the wife role to Ed O'Neill. But that also brings us to I, Tanya, 2017, her Oscar-winning role as Lavanya. Um, so I know we want to make yeah, some space for absolutely. this one. So this movie rocked. Um, I did not, all I knew of the Tanya Harding story, up was uh the nancy harrigan giving club the whole incident i did not you know i was too young to fully grasp what was happening and this movie is so interesting it's filmed in kind of like a mock like a fake document of tanya harding's life and allison janey plays tanya harding's mom um and she is riveting in that role she is a horrific mother and she is abusive and she's got all these super cutting one-liners. Um, but the movie does this good job of being somewhat funny, but still like emotional and somewhat tragic. And it actually kind of makes your viewer bad for your perception of Tanya Harding. Cause I always judged her as like this, you know, piece of shit, white trash girl clubbed you know the nice person and was just trying to cheat to get ahead and then you watch this movie and like it makes you feel like shit for because you see she's abused her entire life and the media just project like portrayed her that way while it was happening um and allison janey is fantastic in this similar to drop dead gorgeous she can just really smoke a cigarette in this movie i feel like she's just smoking (laughs) yes she can oh did it like the line where she's you know, trying to get her four-year-old daughter, Tanya Harding, into the, like, teenager's version of skating, uh, skate training. And she's just smoke. she's, like, just ripping a cigarette on the ice. And the coach is like, hey, you can't smoke that here. And she's like, well, then I'll smoke it quietly. <laughs> like, immediate aggression met her right on the ice. <laughs> like, are we about to fight over the cigarette? Or are you training my daughter? Like, what's happening? John mentioned this earlier. Um, she obviously won the Academy Award best supporting actress in this role um and the person that she was probably the person that was probably closest behind her was laurie metcalf and lady bird completely agree yeah um and i think they have pretty a pretty similar almost career arc. they both started out in tv and then 
Um, I would probably argue that Janney's probably had a little bit better of a go than Lori McCaff, but two recognizable names, and I think either of those women could have won that year, and people would be satisfied. Well, I will throw this out there, too. Um, fun fact about Janney in I, Tanya, she's one of 15 actresses to ever win an Oscar, Golden yep. Globe, BAFTA, SAG, and Critics' Choice Award for the same role. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it's pretty yeah, impressive. She swept the entire circuit. Yeah, I think it was also, like, the, the supporting um, winners that year, everyone wanted, because that was her and Sam Rockwell, who I feel like mm-hmm. people, like, the mm-hmm. consensus there was pretty clear. And then... I can't remember who won Best Actor that year or Best Actress that year, but I do know that when Gary Oldman uh, won Best Actor by Francis, the time he Francis Francis McDormand won. That's yeah. right. That's right. So yeah, obviously McDormand. that was a clear favorite. But by the time Gary Oldman won, no one wanted him. They were like just anybody but him. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. People didn't love Ang Missouri, the movie itself. Like some people loved it. A lot of people hated it, the way they portrayed race. But there was no denying that Francis yeah. McDormand was a, just a powerhouse yeah. in the role. One hundred percent. So, when uh, mm. when Allison Janney won, um, I, one thing I love about her is she's super kind of critical of Hollywood and kind of talks through the bullshit and breaks the fourth wall of this, you know, like mm. we're all super classy Hollywood experience. And uh, when she won her award, the first thing she got up, she said when she got up there, she's like, I did this all by myself. And like, no one's yeah, at yeah. that. This is all awesome. awesome. to me. <laughs> In 2017, she was in Six Degrees of Separation as Wisa Kitrich. I don't know how to pronounce that, so we're just going let it, to let it live there. Uh, but this was her return to Broadway after taking a few years off, focusing on film and television work. Um, and then also in 2019, more of a relatively newer project, she was in Troop Zero as Miss Massey. Um, it is available on Amazon Prime. Highly recommend you check it out. It is a quality film. And then also, she's in Ma as Dr. Brooks, which is uh, Octavia Spencer at, some would say, her best. Uh, that brings us all the way to her highest critic score. Something to be said that her highest critic score is in 2019, so very recent. Um, that means she's only getting better with the work that she's doing, uh, at least in my estimation. I watched this for the first time probably three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, loved it, and I will say on the second watch, it got even better, and I would... I would say at this point, I know the year's weird because of movie theaters closing down and a lot of movies getting pushed back, but I am I can confidently say I think this is the best movie that I've seen that's been released. Um, I know it was released technically in 2019 at a film festival, but released on streaming platforms, it would be the best movie that I've seen so far this year. Basic gist, if you haven't seen it, uh, the beloved superintendent of, a New York, of New York's Roslyn School District, played by Hugh Jackman, and his staff, friends, and relatives become the prime suspects in what is the single largest public school embezzlement scandal in American history of over $11 million total. The corruption is rooted in the school's desire to push students to prestigious institutions and keep local property value high. The scheme is blown up by student journalists played by Geraldine Viswanathan. There's a really pivotal scene where Frank, played by Hugh Jackman, encourages her at the start to take this puff piece story and in make it something worthwhile because he like still believes in education and the movie is him as being this this guy who seems like the only noble one or one mm-hmm. of the, the noble educators in the bunch and then it obviously flips on itself that scene kind of portrays what happens in the rest of the movie um, because it ends up being his downfall the idea of mentoring and empowering students to do more with what they have available to them kind of brings the whole the house cards down Jenny plays 
a character named Pam Gluckin. She's the school's business manager. The basic gist is, over a number of years, she cooks the books and is stealing money from under the table and buying houses and all sorts of luxury. Her son is played by Jimmy Tatro, which is hilarious. Uh, and he's basically the jackass who gets her caught <laughs> in the first place. He goes to one too many Ace Hardware stores, right? <laughs> I did exactly. not realize that was him. It's Jimmy Tatro, yeah. It's directed by Corey Finley. This particular project, I mean, it just blew me away. And the second watch, once you know the turn, then you start to see the dialogue, the posturing back and forth between Jackman and Janney. It, it really takes it to the next level. The little things like the leaky ceiling mm-hmm. and the focus on that. It's, it's this glimpse into a corrupt administration and how they're just wasting taxpayer dollars and instead spending it on PlayStations and dumb shit like that. I think what makes this movie great is the screenplay and its ability to convince you that Hugh Jackman is one of the, the few trying to do it right and frames Janny as the devil. And then when she gives that, uh, her exit interview, it just says, I'm not the sociopath here. That's when the entire thing flips on itself. Oh, dude, I love this movie. There's no, just so rocks, many things man. I love I about it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. The score and the soundtrack is perfect for portraying the tone of the scenes. Um, he, there's like classical music that is like you wouldn't expect, but just drops out of nowhere and it convects this, like this really heavy tone to the to the scenes. And then the cinematography, the way that they like portray the gravity. So even the one when they they confront her in her office, the way they're all set up in the office with Jackman sitting down and them standing over top of him, literally frame back and forth constantly. It, it's just, I love the way they use the cameras in there. So. Her role, she's an asshole, her character, and she does it in a subtle fuck you kind of yep. way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Her nonverbals are incredibly good. When her niece tells her that she spent $2,800 on early Christmas shopping, and you can tell she wants to rip her head off, but her her facial expressions don't change at all uh, because she realizes, like, I encourage this. I, I reap what I sow in this one. That like her nonverbals are so good, and when she comes home and just destroys Jimmy Tatro, admitting that she's been stealing for years, like that scene is, it's like her coup yep. de gras. Like that's when she shines. So I have nothing but praise for her in this movie and the movie overall. I think it's I incredible. Agree. I wish she would have been in it more. Honestly, I mean, yeah. I feel like yeah, I like yeah. the last half of the movie she's barely in it, but that's just because she kind of has the she's the first like fall from what? grace from them. Yeah. And I would confidently say Hugh Jackman's my favorite lead performance of the year so far because I think he's incredible in that role and Janny is right up there with the sporting actor side. One thing about the movie that was cool is that the screenwriter was um, – he was in middle school in Long Island when this all took place. So he, he, wrote, oh. a lot of it. he wrote a lot of it um, based off his – you know, obviously he wasn't old enough to really understand it, but I think he probably read the papers and stuff and, and always was sort of interested in it. So – it was hit close to home on his end. I think he's a he's a graduate of the high school that it that it, it takes place. Oh, that yeah. makes sense. Yep, mm-hmm. that's about as good of a source material as you're going to get. When I a, a first was amped about this, is I grew up knowing this story vaguely. When the movie started, I was like, "Oh, well, I love Hugh Jackman. I love Alice and Janney. We're doing this pod. It's perfect timing." The moment the movie started, it is so true to. Long Island's mindset and even Long Island's locations. Like I recognize some of the areas there. When Jimmy Tatro is at the Ace Hardware and the guy says, Yeah, you know, for the amount of money you spent, we'll deliver what you need. And his dumb brain says, I need it delivered to East Hampton. In my own brain, before the next scene, is like, that's an hour and a half drive. Like, this guy's an idiot. And then the <laughs> next scene is the guy being like, Yeah, why are we delivering stuff from Roslyn to East Hampton? That's like an hour and a half drive. I was like, 
oh, wow, this is very true to form where it's like he gets caught because mm-hmm. he's an idiot and doesn't realize that that's illegal to do. We're going to move on and we'll wrap up her, her film work. So 2019 to 2020, she's in the remake of The Addams Family animated. So again, she's done a pretty decent amount of animated work in her time. Uh, she was in Bond Shell as Susan Estrich uh, and was in Lazy Susan. Let's pivot to some television conversation. We're going to start with The West Wing because that was her first television show, and that was a big break that launched her career as C.J. Gregg from 99 to 2006. It was ahead of its time in that it, her character and her portrayal was kind of like the ideal model where it was like smooth talking, deeply intelligent, sexy, but professional. It made competence seem like that was like the best quality you could have as a woman as opposed to like being a bitch, being irrationally competitive, uh, being hysterical, which is what was being portrayed in other dramas. She was the smartest person in, in like an industry that dominated by men in politics because um, she was playing the press secretary for the president. She became the best character on the show. I mean, she won as many Emmys, uh, was it four Emmys that she ended up winning for this role, which is wildly impressive. She's a four-time primetime Emmy winner for West Wing. Going back to the original point of her bossing around the guys, she's perfect for that. You know, it's like you need that role. She commands yeah, space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That can go off the rails if you don't command it well. She has a pretty funny quote um, that her portrayal as the press secretary was so convincing that after the show had concluded, she was actually offered a gig as an actual on-air political pundit. But she responded with, uh, listen, I'm an actor. I can make anyone believe anything. I actually don't know what the hell I'm talking about half the time. So it was like, <laughs> you can have me as a political pundit, but I was just playing a role. I actually don't know anything about what you guys are discussing. She ended up actually making a, a White House press briefing. She came back as CJ Gregg and did an actual press secretary that. press briefing. 2008 to 2014, she was in Phineas and Ferb. She played Charlene Diffenschmertz. She was in three episodes of Family Guy as Mistress Vita, Crystal Quagmire, and Team People Editor. I know that she was in an episode of The Simpsons and an episode of American Dad in 2016-2017. So she's, she's dipped in some of these TV comedies. She was in Mr. Sunshine in 2011. Between the years of 2013-2015, she was in Masters of Sex as Margaret Scully. And I believe she won at least one Emmy role in there. Uh, I believe she won like guest, guest appearance. And then that kind of rolls into... Her role as Bonnie in the show Mom from 2013 to 2020, which she has won a number of Emmys as well. The, the show is about recovery. She, she's a recovering addict. She plays like a, a fun, carefree, spirited grandmother to Anna Ferris, or mother to Anna Ferris and a grandmother to her grandchild, who is really, really funny. Comedic timing is, is awesome in this show. Yeah, her and, her and Anna Ferris are great together. They're at, both of them are actually in recovery. And um, what's fun about this show from a female standpoint is, is you've got two lead female characters. It's not all about them and dating and trying yeah. to find a man. It, it's about recovery. It's about being a mom or a grandma. And you know, what? great, uh, great point. Big hit. Allison Janney, she kind of reminded, reminds me sometimes in this, in this show as uh, Katie Siegel in, in uh, Married with Children. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of this show. I think it's a. Uh, I think it's a great. Uh, I think it's a great comedy, and and it's good to see that those two are having such a such success with this type of a show. And I think it says something about how humble she is when they first recruited her. They they didn't really want like her agent was like, "You don't need to go do read. You don't need to do a reading. 
right? And she's like, no, I want to, like, I think it's important that I go in and, and read with Anna to make sure there's chemistry there. So, like, she could have taken the short route and been like, nah, I'm, like, I'm a big time actor. I don't need to do that. Just give me part. But, you know, she was like, I want to, I want to do the homework. I want to make sure that I'm a fit. So I thought that was interesting. She's now mentioned that, like, her relationship with Anna Ferris is so close that she, like, considers her, like, family at this point. Like, they, they went from being complete. Like, she's yeah, mom. Exactly. They went from being complete strangers to, like, fiercely loyal to one another as friends. When I'm going to round this out, the rest of her TV show work, she was in Web Therapy as Judith Frick, 2014. Ventures to Mr. Clown as Allison in 2015. Break a Hip as Niblet, 2015 to 2018. Uh, F is for Family as Henrietta, 2017 to 2018. And finally, DuckTales as Goldie Old Guilt in 2018 to 2019. Um, Rigby, yeah. do you have some top performances? I do. I was lucky enough to find a top 10 performances for film. Um, not just TV, because obviously she's got a big TV career, which we discussed. But this is courtesy of goldderby.com. Top 10 film performances by Allison Janney. Who wants to start us out? If it's not I, Tanya, number yeah. one, I'll, the, I'll be that is shocked. That is very uh, understandable, and that's number one. How recent is this list? Uh, 2019. Okay. Is, is Bad Education on there? Uh, bad education is not on here, so it will that, be at one point. It, yeah, it should be. I would say bad education is probably it should be in the top five. Of these, from what I'm reading, top yeah. five at least. Yeah. Someone said Juno. Juno is three. Drop dead gorgeous. Six. Absolutely. Yeah. Ten things I hate about. Ten you. things I hate about you is surprisingly not on here. Okay. I think yeah, the role was not big it's enough. A minor role. Days and nights. Yeah. Spy. Spy. Days and nights. Or spy is not here. Uh, well, yeah, probably <laughs> uh, for a good reason. Liberal I, arts. No, liberal arts is not. Um, Tallulah is not. Number two is a small role that I I mentioned. Earlier. I think just because of her character arc in it is American Beauty. American Beauty is four, so we need okay. five. We need two. We need seven, eight, nine, and ten. Oh my god, we need them all. Bad words. Bad words is not. Number ten is Nurse Betty. This list uh, says that this is her first big film role. I know ours, our methodology is a little different, um, but that was in 2000 as compared to mm-hmm. um, Object of My Affection. Object of My Affection, which was 98, right? Yeah, yeah. 98. Yeah. Girl yep. on the Train is number nine. Hairspray is number eight. I know. Number seven is, we mentioned it earlier, Oscar Bait. Uh, the Hours. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, she's yeah. good in that. I mean, I, I can't hate number on Number five is The Way, uh, Way Back. Oh, that's, man, that's a good movie. I need to rewatch and it. number two is The Help. So okay. I have to see these movies is what you're telling me. Yep. So let's get into the Munson Meter rating system. And this is how we evaluate our actors. So I, we, we dig through their career and we rate them on a scale of one to a hundred based on a variety of factors. And those factors include their longevity. How long have they been in the game? How consistent have they been? We talk about their pop culture impact, right? Are they a household name? Would the, the average Munson on the street know who they are and what would they know them for? Um, we consider their range as an actor, you know, side projects, leading, whatever those things happen to be. We take a look at their awards footprint. We evaluate other talents. Do they sing, produce, direct, stage work, whatever it happens to be? Um, we evaluate them based on their personal life. Are they a great person? Do they have some really racy stuff in their background that gives them a notch down? And then we also look at their comedy chops. So with all that said, we are going to start with James. 
Cool. So I was really excited when uh, the wheel decided on Jani. I have been a fan of hers and I was excited to do deeper dive. And um, I w- was blown away, actually. Uh, she's more impressive than I originally remember. Um, Kyle mentioned it earlier, but she's one of 15 actresses in history to win Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, Screen Actors, Guild, BAFTA, and Oscar all for one And that was for portrayal as Lavanya in I, Tanya. Um, she's won seven Emmys, four for The West Wing, two for Mom, and one for Masters of Sex, which is the second most awarded in history. Um, she's only one win away from tying Julia Louis-Dreyfus uh, for the number one spot. I did not know that. So to be the most accomplished Emmy winner um, is just another notch in her belt. When you include her Academy Award, I, Tanya, uh, this is staggering, but she has t- 226 nominations and 110 wins uh, spanning film, television, and theater. Wow. Uh, I was blown away by that. She's funny, smart, mean, compassionate. She expertly can portray like the entire range of human emotion and always steals the scene that she's in. Just has that commanding presence. The only thing I'm taking points away is the lack of leading roles and lack of kind of blockbuster movie name recognition. However, all oh. that being said... I'm giving her the highest rating any Munson has given so far. I'm going to give her 88. Wow. Wow. That's uncharted territory Mm -hmm. right there. All right. All right. Case, you're up next. Yeah, I think James said it pretty well. Um, For once, I I get to compliment somebody on the amount of awards that they've gotten. That's one of the things that I feel like I'm very critical of. Um, You know, she scores, she scores pretty high. On mine, um, except in the areas of, of just talents and flexibility, you know, I think she's got she's got two great ranges. She's on what she's either on one end this incredibly authoritative, dominant presence, or on the other end, she's kind of this um, kind of fun, you know, just character that you're you're just attracted to. But I, you know, I, I haven't seen a lot out of her in the middle. And that's what I loved about Bad Education is I felt like that was one of the first movies where she was in the middle there having, having a full range. Uh, but that being said, I mean, she's getting my second highest score, and I'm going to give her a 78. All right. John, our guest Munson, what do you got? Um, I, I thought a lot about this, um, and I think that um, – any points that she's going to lose from me are some of the major clunkers that she's in, along with uh, her liability on Tate Taylor, um, which I can't give up. But, <laughs> but I do think that some of the concerns we've had about her not being um, a lead and sort of a star vehicle for, her, I think are going to be assuaged because she has a movie coming out um, either this year or next year called breaking news in Yuba County, which is she's the lead in. It's a movie that um, sounds right up my alley. The premise on Wikipedia says that a woman buries the body of her husband after he dies of a heart attack when caught cheating on her. She struggles to keep it secret. Um, so I think sort of the black comedies that we talked about, which are sort of like right in her spot between bad education and drop dead gorgeous and her sort of mm-hmm. bit parts in 10 things I hate about you where she kind of really, um, sort of, I think excels as an actor in, in narrative films. I think this will be, a good one for that. Um, I'm going to give her a 77. Um, and I picked number because her height, uh, she's six feet reminds me 
of a tall center in basketball named George Marison. He's number 77. <laughs> she, could, she, she, could post, she could post up any NBA player with that height. So I'm going to go with the 77. She was an athlete, so I'm sure she could yeah, hold it down. She could definitely dunk on me. She has a pretty funny quote that, uh, in regards to her height. She's like, uh, years ago, a casting agent told me the only roles I would ever get were lesbians and aliens. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so funny. I'll jump in. Um, I'm giving her a high score just like you guys did. There, you've hit most of what I wanted to touch on. Uh, I think the big thing for me is she got a really light start to her film career. And it's amazing what she's been able to accomplish after the age of 35. I mean, most actors, we cover her starting at 18, 19, 20, mm-hmm. 21. So she's done all this, you know, which is probably good. She was in her, uh, I'm going to put in air quotes, her prime, right? Like she probably had a better mind for picking good roles, was being smart about where she spent her time. And she's been a very, very busy actress over the years and has done a ton of stage work alongside her film and television side. I mean, there are very few actors who have been able to excel in all three of the formats, like James had mentioned, with all the nominations and all the wins. There's not much I'm knocking her on, um, because I also think she's a really funny person as a human and she seems absolutely lovely to work with even when she was like talking about her dating life with like on late night tv uh talking about like dating guys in their 30s and how she doesn't really want to do that but it's kind of fun to be like desired as a cougar (laughs) she just seems like a really pleasant human so i'm gonna give her an 80 nice which is my second highest score behind chastain mark finish this out man i'm gonna give her a high score as well and my reasoning is you know i was thinking about this one of the hardest things in Hollywood is, especially if you're in a TV show, to not get – is to break out from a separate – like if you're a star in a TV show like a George Costanza or – but think of like someone who played a huge role in a TV show who had a hard time finding other gigs because they always thought in that role basically. Yeah, typecast. Type and I think Allison Janney has done a great job of avoiding that. We're a film podcast. We're not a TV show podcast. But – I think it's hard to ignore that someone can have huge roles in two TV shows in two different centuries. I think that's really impressive. Um, I get the West yeah. Wing was a, a late 90s show, uh, went into the 2000s, but it's still a huge gap in between there. And she's been on Broadway. She's won an Academy Award. She's acting on social media. She seems to have a pretty good social scene sort of thing. Hasn't gotten in any trouble. I know we, we sort of take that into consideration. So I'm going to give her an 84, which I believe is my second high school. I think only behind Lithgow. She's kind of like Lithgow. In every movie that you watch that she's in, you're interested in her in her character. And that even goes for the yeah. stinker Days and Nights that I watch, which was awful. <laughs> it was awful, but she was the best character. And she was the best actor in it. And there's something to be said about that. So I'll give her an 84. I've done the math and... Fellas, I have to say, we've got a new number Oh, yeah, one. look at that. Lithgow's been dethroned. She comes in at an 81.4, and Lithgow's at an 81.2. Wow. Nice, man. That's awesome. I think that's fair. Very close, too. Jeez. She's now our number one. So taking over the list, and O'Dowd is no longer in the top ten. Oh, yeah, so I mean, we saw that. Yeah, we saw again. that <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I know we got a little bit of a sneak preview at, into the, the projects that are coming, and... John had mentioned breaking news in Yuba County, but she's got a few more coming, and Rigby's going to tackle that part. John mentioned breaking news in Yuba County. The Heart, which uh, I don't know if that has a release date, but the stars in it look awesome, the cast. Sam Rockwell, who's of uh, also of Academy Award-winning fame, I believe the same year that J- Allison Janney won. 
and Octavia Spencer. So some some firepower there. And then the other one is Lou. It's in pre-production, but the description on IMDb is a tough elderly woman living on a remote island is recruited by a neighbor to help her find her kidnapped daughter. That stars Alice and Janney. So she's the main character in that one. Oh, that'll be good. It's going to be awesome. It'd be good to see her in some leading roles yes, yes. in those mil- movies you mentioned, too, because that's that's what she got her big knock for me. Is she's a supporting character in most of her movies. But she's damn good. All right, so we've got some actors. Some actors for consideration on episode 12. Those five that were generated from our list were Amy Adams, the aforementioned. We've discussed her quite a bit on this episode. Jimon Hunsu, Brenda Fricker, Jeff Daniels and James Franco. Wow. John included on this Ooh. one. What are our thoughts on those five? Pretty diverse group. And not a lot of crossover in types of films. Oh, if it's Jeff if it's Jeff Daniels, I might have to make a repeat appearance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like top he's like top five actor for me. I'm excited for all those. I love Jeff Daniels. I would say Daniels or Franco would be fun. I just want to watch Escanaba in the Moonlight. I'd love to watch uh, Amy Adams movies and remark on how she still hasn't won an Academy Award like Consistently crushing every role she's in. And one of us could review Dropdick just again. Because that was her first major role. So. <laughs> Kyle, question for you. Is that how you pronounce that guy's name? I'm less confident on his last name, but I know his first name is Chico. Okay. He was Blood Diamond. He was in... He's a, like a supporting role in a lot Never of Never Back Down. He was in the Guardian movies. Was he in Gladiator? Yep. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he so. was. Yep. He would be fun to watch. Agreed. Brenda Ficker is cool because I know Warren was like shitting on Brent Fricker, but uh, I mean, yeah, she's an angels in the outfield. She's the bird lady in home alone too. Uh, but she won an Oscar yeah, for my left yeah. foot. Like it, she's been in a lot of other that stuff. That would be a huge, so yeah. it'd be a little bit that of a throwback a ball for sure. If we got her, mm-hmm. we'd turn the clock back yep. on that one for sure. And Franco would just be hilarious. Yeah, it'd be really exactly. fun. I just watched pineapple express like six times. I watched disaster artist. My boy, Tommy wise. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> John, who would you want to cover other than Jeff Daniels? We know you love him. Probably Brenda Fricker. Ooh. Don't really know her filmography all that well, except for Angel in the Outfield, Home Alone 2, and My Left Foot. And I think <laughs> she's also in she's also in A Time to Kill, which is just a terrible movie, too. We got another one like me who, who likes just watching people I don't know shit about. Just want to check out new actors, man. We will spin the wheel on June 11th. The wheel decides. The wheel decides. And we'll, the wheel decides. And we will let it... Um, we'll see what happens. It'll be fun regardless. All right. Next podcast hits on June 18th. Our featured guest will be none other than Emma Marfle. We'll have our first female guest on the on the month since here. So that would be Ooh, really right. cool. She is very much a creative movie nerd. Does a lot of really cool stuff that I'd uh, be interested to hear about. Um, on some of her side hustles, independent consulting work, that kind of stuff. So it, it'll be a fresh perspective. John. It's been a damn pleasure, man. We appreciate you joining yeah, us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. This was a lot of fun. You have any uh, any plugs you want to make? No, just send me good vibes for the bar exam later this fall. Ooh. Good luck, man. Thanks. And send him good luck in playing me in Madden. going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good, good luck on that. Uh, <laughs> tell him to not use the Titans. <laughs> Well, John, we, uh, we appreciate you, man. Well, I'm sure we'll we'll find a, a way to invite you back at a later time. Yeah, thank, uh, thanks, John. What, one Rigby is definitely not enough. Yeah, sounds great. Happy to contribute to the high score in months in history. Attaboy. Yeah, that's true. 
if you're still listening, we appreciate you. We obviously love continuing to push out content. You can catch us on Twitter at Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram at Munson's at the Movies. You can email us at Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Um, we loved hearing from you. Love these, these social media interaction. Any final thoughts from the Munson's before we wrap this thing up? Well, my storyline is disappearing right now. What the fuck? Warren, we miss you, brother. We'll, uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?